Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast, the show that brings together Michigan's top cannabis growers, advocates, and business owners to offer a fresh and honest perspective of Michigan's cannabis industry. Stick with us to get the lowdown from the people who have been on the ground floor of cannabis business in Michigan and gain insights into where the industry may be heading. Welcome to the Smoking Rope Podcast. Today is episode 32, and I am your host, Ryan Basor. Super excited to have on uh, a guest that's um, well-known across the country now, uh, activist, entrepreneur, hip-hop producer, uh, and with the company's Reform and the Weldon Project, Weldon Angelos. Thanks for being on, Weldon. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Super excited. I wanted to introduce Tom Beller over at Real Leaf Solutions, uh, Northern Michigan, and we're all under weather advisories here, even well not of Utah, but how's it going up there in Kalkaska, Tom? Ironically, it's a beautiful blue sky day <laughs> up in Northern Michigan, so really excited about today's guest. Weldon, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Tom. And yeah, man, Kevin. excited about it. Cool. Kevin, at... Uh, True cannabis in Lansing, just around the corner. Kevin, what's happening today? How much, man? Just trying to get the snow cleared, get the parking lots open so the guys can get into work and uh, get our mail delivered and all that good stuff. But uh, other than that, everything's good, man. Cool, cool. Well, I wanted uh, a little bit longer introduction for those that don't know about Weldon. In uh, in 2004, uh, Weldon was was sentenced to 55 years in prison for basically over three and a half ounces of cannabis. You know, they they, they they definitely targeted him. And, you know, when he didn't take a plea deal, they 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 trump up charges, as most of us know that listen to this. But after uh, 13 years in, in 2016, President Obama uh, granted Weldon clemency. Uh, he had a lot of support, which we'll hear about from, from a lot of different uh, well-known people. And he was out and off and running and uh, he's done a lot, a lot of work uh, in the last four years, in my opinion, more than anyone up in Washington for criminal justice reform and the partnerships that he's created and just being up there advocating, uh, putting politics aside, left or right, whatever it takes to, to get people out of jail and to quit arresting people. So um, I first met Weldon after I launched uh, Redemption and uh, I, I, I believe I reached out to you and just saw what you were doing. Uh, I saw Reform, your cannabis brand uh, had kind of hit and uh, hit it off. And uh, Weldon has done a lot of, to help me. He's the, the tip of the spear when it comes to criminal justice reform. And for what I'm trying to do, we're, we're, we're all learning from Weldon. So um, besides that, and he also got pardoned, sorry, at the end of this year by uh, by President Trump. So what a big deal. So with that, I'm going to let Weldon talk about him, tell us the story, talk about himself. We'll jump in here and there. But today's show, I really just want to hear um, this uh, amazing story. And uh, hopefully we, uh, we see Weldon in Michigan soon. So thanks, Weldon. Yeah, thanks, man. Love to, love to come out there and you and uh, i've never been to michigan except to get off a plane and get on another one so um so yeah my journey through you know this space started uh you know with uh dr dre's um you know i was a young kid you know when that album came out you know i wanted to experiment with kind of 
of this. I thought it was cool. They're wearing the weed leaf, working with the people I was listening to, all the people at Death Row Records, from you know Snoop <clears throat> to Tupac's group and everyone. Um, and because I'm originally from Salt Lake City, you know, I was bringing those acts out to Salt Lake City, and you know, they it wasn't light. So the local authorities did not want that culture, the weed smoke and hip hop culture, out here. Um, you know, I had relocated to LA, you know, when I was 15 to get in the industry. And so when I started bringing Snoop and Mac Dre and all these people out here, it put the crosshairs on me. Um, they uh, they sent an informant, some guy I had known when I was growing up, and he <clears throat> purchased uh, a few hundred dollars worth of cannabis on three occasions into a 20 count federal indictment where I was facing a hundred and five years of mandatory in prison. Um, it was it was ridiculous. You know, it was a nightmare. And, you know, as we went through the process, you know, we learned that, you know, they look it's an opportunity. You know, uh, authorities usually don't spend millions of dollars investigating someone, $1,000, the music people I was, I was working with and hoping that putting pressure on me would lead to something big and, and a career boost and all that stuff. And so when that didn't happen, they wanted to make an example out of me. And so they superseded my indictment two more times, um, added enough time to send me away for, you know, a couple natural lives. And I went to trial. Um, they trumped up a couple counts where they fabricated and to go to trial. I wasn't willing to accept a 15 year plea offer for a $300 marijuana sale. And that's what they were offering me, you know, 15 years for $300 worth of weed. And I couldn't do it. And most of the charges they were holding over my head were, were fabricated. Their stuff, it wasn't true. So I went to trial and I lost some, won some, ended up with a mandatory 55 year sentence. And what surprised me and my defense team was that the judge who was a Federalist Society judge, basically the judges Trump was appointing. So he was very conservative, very tough on crime. He looked at this case in, in this in the story and was appalled by what the government was forcing him to impose. The 55 years was mandatory. He had no discretion. So he had no choice. He, all he could do was go down kicking and screaming, but he did go down kicking and screaming. And so he call, he did something unique that has never been done in, in the history of the federal system. He called on the president who appointed him to commute my sentence as he was sentencing me um, because that had never been done before. And certainly not from a very tough on crime conservative judge, people listened. And, and a lot of people um, who we wouldn't have expected to listen to before, um, you know, opened their eyes up to this system. And my judge authored a 67 page opinion stating reasons why this sentence is unconstitutional and, and why I should have received a sentence of maybe six years at most. And that was even too long, in my opinion, for this. However, you know, a few years later, I stepped down the bench and, and became my number one advocate. Booker, Rand Paul, and a few others, along those in the entertainment industry I worked with, <clears throat> like Snoop Dogg, Alicia Keys, Bonnie Rayet, um, and a group of former DOJ officials. We had probably about 165 former federal judges, federal prosecutors, uh, U.S. attorneys general, and a number of state authorities who also felt that the sentence was ridiculous. Um, but what was unique about my case was not only my judge, who, who had spoken out uh, about the sentence, but was because the way I was charged. 
So authorities set up these controlled buys. The judge noted that if they would have arrested me the very first time, I would have gotten probation and been out. But instead of arresting me, if they felt I was so dangerous to society, why wouldn't they arrest me right when it happened? Instead, they kept allowing it to happen multiple times to stack my punishment. So then they could come at me with, you know, a century of incarceration and say, now you have to either cooperate or you have to take this very lengthy plea offer or we're going to send you to prison and you'll never come home. And so that is what made my case different. Um, it was for such a small amount of a, a drug that's harmless um, and, and it was so minor. And so people looked at this like, okay, something's wrong. And, and what, el what else this caused is uh, it caused the Koch brothers to look at the system even more and, and resulted in them getting more involved in criminal justice reform. And so now we have all these senators and DOJ officials. Now the Koch brothers who are, you know, typically thought of as being, you know, super right wing, were also calling on President Obama to intervene. And um, thankful to all the support I had and the pressure that the Senate was putting on the president, um, Obama took steps to secure my release. And in 2016, I was released. And, um, you know, uh, as I was leaving, I had the option, you know, do I want to try to get back at music and build the career they took from me? Or do I want to, you know, help the people I left behind? There was a number of people when I was leaving that were looking at me like, you can't get out and not do something about this. You were given this unique platform and, and a network that you got to take advantage of. And, and, and one of them was Luke Scarmazzo, who's serving a 22 year prison sentence for following state law in California. And he was one of the ones that were like, man, please don't forget about me. When you get out, I need you to be our voice. And so when I got out, I had to make that decision. Do I want to put all this behind me and try to build my career back and, and, and make up for everything that the government has taken from me? Or do I want to dedicate it to, you know, stopping what happened to me from happening to other people? And so I chose the latter and, you know, started working with a, a Republican administration. Uh, President Trump's administration had asked me to come out and join their prison reform summit. And, you know, we built a relationship and a rapport with his staff. And I helped them work on what's called the First Step Act. Um, that was the first comprehensive federal criminal justice reform since 1970. Um, and it, it, it reformed a number of drug mandatory minimums, including the statute that allowed prosecutors to give me, seek and give me a 55 year sentence. That, that statute's gone, it's been reformed. And so prosecutors don't have that lethal tool anymore. Um, and, and it also changed the mandatory life for uh, three strikes for the three drug offenses um, and a number of unjust enhancements. And so while it wasn't you know, the biggest reform and, and what we all wanted, it was a first step and that's what it's called. And so I was proud to be a part of that um, historic piece of legislation. And we, we also worked with the White House on clemencies, and I'll get more to that in a minute. Um, but after the First Step Act passed in December of 2018, I knew it didn't affect people in prison for purely cannabis cases. Now it affected people who received certain enhancements, certain firearm enhancements, and, and other you know uh, uh, cases like that. It did nothing for people serving time for purely cannabis. And so that is when I decided to launch Project Mission Green. And then the idea was actually birthed probably in the late spring of 2018. Um, but when, when we passed the First Step Act, we we launched this, this nonprofit initiative so we could focus on those serving time for cannabis offenses because no nonprofit at the time was doing that. 
no one was focusing on, in my opinion, the most deserving group of offender. You know, if you have people making millions of dollars off this, but you got select individuals serving, uh, you know, long sentences for the same thing and violating the same federal statute that these corporations are violating, you know, this is unjust. And I, and I felt like, you know, the president needed to know about this. I felt like Congress needed to know about this. And so we launched Project Mission Green with that goal in mind. And through that initiative, we were able to secure the release of a number of people serving lengthy sentences for cannabis, including Luke's co-defendant, Ricardo Montes. Um, we weren't able to get Luke out um, for various reasons, but we got his co-defendant out. And, and just recently in um, January, we were able to help secure the release of you know, probably nine or 10 people serving, you know, life in prison for cannabis. You know, we worked with Alice John and others at the White House on highlighting these individual cases. And so we are now to launch a coalition to help pass the MORE Act. And we're bringing something to the table that's not there already, which is conservative support. And so we're really excited um, to, to, be, to get ready to announce this coalition as well. And that's, that's an incredible story, Weldon. I know there's even more to it. I've got so many questions uh, we're not gonna have time for today, just, but uh, I think about like m me being in your shoes, like what, what was it like and how long did it take for you to like get over maybe the anger or like when you first went in uh, to prison and it, was it like immediately the whole time, right when you went in, you're like from day one, I'm, I'm getting myself out of here or was it, what, what was that process like? Yeah, day one, I hit the ground running. Uh, I was working on getting out. I didn't have time to be angry and bitter. You know, it was a nightmare because, you know, I watched everything I had just disappear. My career, you know, once in a lifetime career, not many people can make it in the music industry. And, you know, I I, I was right there with a multi-million dollar deal and it was taken from me. I had two young sons who, you know, when I got out, they were grown men, had facial hair and everything. It was weird. Um, so, you know, I have a 13 year gap in my memory where, you know, it goes from 2002 to 2016 and, you know, nothing's there but prison and, and riots and, and just crazy, crazy shit. You know what I mean? And so, um, you know, while, while I wanted to be mad and bitter, I didn't have the luxury to do that because I knew that no one wants to get me out more than me. The lawyers, the advocates, they all have an agenda. They want to change law. So they looked at me as a vehicle to change Supreme Court precedent, to change federal statutes. But I just wanted to come home. And I seen that my agenda and their agenda was different. You know, I had some very strong actual innocence claims. I had Brady violations where evidence was suppressed, um, uh, uh, fabricated testimony. I had so much good stuff. All they wanted to focus on was Eighth Amendment mandatory minimums. And so I kind of was a victim of, of my own publicity and, and everything that I had going with for my case, you know, end up working for me, but also against me. And I think, uh, but I wouldn't have changed anything if I could go back and do it over. I wouldn't do it because so much good has come from, you know, what happened to me and, and what my judge did and, and the, the laws we were able to change because of that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Um, it's stuff that's never been never been done before. So um, I enjoy I enjoy it when I get a chance to talk to you or, or listen. And um, I was curious. And we've had like some pretty big, uh, as far as knowledgeable guests on the national level on the show, the director of a marijuana policy project, the National Cannabis Industry Association. But uh, even talking with them and then talking with you, you're in the you're in the room. So 
what what's what's it like uh tesla experience about i know you worked with cory booker um and then but what's it like going up to the white house and talking about you know marijuana and criminal justice reform uh it's just uh it's a surreal thought for me yeah so i think um you know i've been to a lot of people's houses you know i've been to snoop dogs i've been, I've been to a lot of places and been around a lot of famous people but i think nothing compares to walking in that White House as a formerly incarcerated person, as someone with a felony conviction, um, going in the White House and then listening to my views on criminal justice and what they should be doing. And so I think that was probably one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. And not only going one time, but coming back and back and back and, you know, keep keeping this communication going and and, and speaking to, you know, people like Ivanka Trump and, and, and you know, having them call me and ask me things and, and talk about cases and asking for cases to bring to their attention. And so it was amazing, I think. And, and me and Cory Booker, you know, when I first got out, I went straight to D.C. And the first two people I went visited was uh, Cory Booker and Mike Lee. You know, we had a press conference and and they treated me like a friend. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, you know, keeping their distance. And, you know, they gave me hugs and here's my cell number. And so we literally, you know, I can text message Mike Lee. We text message all the time. And, you know, Cory Booker is a friend. And, and it's just it's an amazing feeling now. Look where we are. Like 10 years ago, this would never have been possible. We could never have went to the house and, and never even reached out to members of Congress. They didn't want to hear from us. And so now, you know, we, we've come so far and I feel like we're really close to finally putting an end to not only cannabis prohibition, but the war on drugs overall. Hey, Weldon, this is Kevin Pibus over at True Cannabis in Lansing. Um, just had a question for you about um, what what role did the, uh, the, the local and, and state police have in your case um, for it to have gotten pushed up to the federal level? I know that in, in Ryan's situation, um, we had an attorney general here that really had a, um, it out for him and, and kind of pressed it up to the next level because his hands were locked as to what he could do. Uh, what, what role did the, the, the local and state police have for your, your case? So they had everything to do with it. Um, I was prosecuted initially by the Metro Gang Unit, which was a, a drug and gang unit task force. And they, they investigated drug and gang related activity. And the, the individual who was an informant, he had caught a case, he had caught an armed meth trafficking case. He had just gotten out of prison for cocaine distribution and other violent offenses. And he was a gang member. And so, you know, he wanted to get immunity and he had worked out a deal with the Metro Gang Unit. The Metro Gang Unit, you know, he had brought to their attention, you know, I have a, a information on a murder or a couple murders. I got information on, you know, cartels bringing meth into the state. And they were like, yeah, 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 we don't care. We, what about Weldon Angelos? Can you get Weldon Angelos? That's what we want. He's like, well, I got a murder and meth. And they're like, no, 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 we want Weldon. He was like, yeah. He's like, okay, that'll be easy. What do you want? And he was like, marijuana? He was like, okay. I mean, even to this day, he's a scumbag. But my documentary crew interviewed him and, you know, they reached out to him. And he says, even to this day, he couldn't understand why they wanted me over a murder. Like, come on, man. And, and people bring in, you know, carloads of meth into the state. They wanted little old me. And, and I mean, it's clear why they wanted me. They were hoping prosecuting me would lead to the arrest of people like Snoop Dogg, or it would also keep, and it did get rid of, you know, that bridge between the hip hop industry and the state, which I was bringing here. And I think they they looked at me like I was bringing Ebola into Utah. And so, you know, they felt like they had to keep me out. Man, oh man. And I always talk about that. People think of the federal government and all this is like out in DC, but they live among us. They're human. And 
uh, like with me, uh, you know, you get a DA agent that doesn't like you. Um, you know, it's it's personal. They're just humans. So you mentioned the documentary. Let's uh, uh, tell me about that. Uh, what's going on with your documentary? Yeah. So, you know, the moment I got out, we started filming. I had started writing a documentary from prison in a book. And so when I got out, you know, I wanted to I wanted to get my story out there and, and more than just you know, promoting myself. I wanted to expose what happened to me and bigger than all the music and celebrity crap. I wanted to expose the agent who was the Metro gang unit officer, Jason Mazaron, and the informant who set me up on two charges that they knew they know weren't true, but they did it anyway to put pressure on me. And so they concocted these charges that were never in the police reports. You know, these are, these are things that were fabricated six months after the transactions when they arrested me and saw that I owned a legal firearm, they go back into the report and say, oh, he must have had it back then. And they changed the reports. You know, we got two versions of these police reports and other officers there debriefed this guy. Only one officer later changed his report to say the informant mentioned a firearm. And so I want to expose what happened to me, not just the sentence, not just the music, but those two individuals who are the villains in my documentary. When's that going to be coming out? Um, we're hoping um, this summer. Um, you know, we have we're, we're we're trying to shoot it as a docu series, and we're in talks with CNN Films and HBO Max, and and we have everybody in the film from, you know, Senator Cory Booker to Snoop Dogg to Mike Lee to President Trump, and um, you know, we filmed at the White House, and, and we sort of been everywhere, and we actually worked on clemencies on camera, and so we actually were you know filming everything this clemency push that happened at the last uh, minute. And the people we were able to get out, including Michael Harris, the co-founder of Death Row Records, you know, we were working with Snoop and other people on getting some of these clemencies and we were able to film the process so people can see what it looked like and, you know, how stressful it was and how hard it was. Um, and, and, and for all that work to only get a dozen people out, you know, was was, you know, a letdown. I mean, it was we were happy and celebratory, but at the same time, it was a letdown because there's so many more in there that need relief. Yeah, we we talk about a lot about that with uh, with my foundation and, and the people on this show. Just talking about, you know, uh, hopefully, like just we just got, you know, and you you helped early on, and we're a part of the whole Michael Thompson uh, that getting out here in Michigan, and you know, so much human capital and time and energy went and getting Michael out from a lot of people, and here we are, you know, like but in Michigan, it's like a momentum builder. So we're hoping that we're at the tip of the iceberg and the momentum's just gonna shoot it shoot it forward and we'll be set on that. But uh, what I wanna talk about, which is uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, we both came up, obviously you uh, you came up with your brand, uh, your cannabis brand first. I did uh, second, but I didn't, didn't know about yours yet. And uh, similar names and a little bit similar concept. And um, for when I did it, it was still, you know, this is a, obviously a passion for me. It's obviously a passion for you. But, but it's what's kind of funny now is that, uh, you know, sex doesn't sell cannabis. Now it's social justice and activism in 2020, 21. So just the way it's all turned and uh, to, to have other people out there like you across the country that are doing it for the right reasons is exciting. So tell me about reform and tell me about when you got it started, how you came up with it and uh, kind of the last couple of years of that process and, and where you're able to be going. Yeah. And so when we were working on individuals releases like Luke and other people, 
you know, I polled all of them, like, what else can we do to be to be helping you? And, and I was in the process of launching my own brand. A lot of people in the industry and, and, and some of my, you know, entertainer friends were, were prodding me like, you know, you lost 13 years of your life for, you know, $900 worth of cannabis, you should be in the industry. And so I'm like, okay, well, you know, help me get my own brand. And so we started working on it. But as I got further into it, you know, and speaking to those in, is still incarcerated, you know, they were like, you know, what we could use is financial support while we're in prison. And so what I did was I turned my brand into a cause-based brand. I used, I put the word reefer and reform together for reform and turned it into a, a cause-based brand where we dedicate proceeds to individuals' commissary accounts. Because I know what it's like, and I'm sure you know what it's like being in prison and the phone calls are expensive, the commissary is expensive. And we both know prison feeds you enough to keep you alive, not full. And so, you know, you can't survive just on what the prison provides you. And, and then phone calls and emails, you got to pay for everything. I mean, you got to pay per minute as you're writing an email. And so some people have to choose between hygiene products and calling their families. And so, you know, we want to make sure they can depend on a check every month from us. And, and, you know, whatever money they get from their little job or whatever, you know, they don't have to worry about only living off that. And so I launched Reform to also help them while we're working to get them out of jail. You know, we're also trying to help them make them comfortable while they're in jail. And that was sort of the idea behind it. And, you know, we went and, you know, got a Snoop song to, to, for it and, you know, created a bunch of content. Um, we ended up, we created the brand in 2018. We didn't launch. And so it was definitely a rough start. Um, but we did, you know, sell out immediately every run that we did have you know the dispensaries were eating them up you know they were buying everything out so fast but with the with the drought in california and, and the prices going up and the covid you know we had to pull back let let everything kind of calm down and then we're going to relaunch in a month that is exciting hopefully uh we see you all over all over the country i'm sure um so yeah we're looking to we're looking to launch nationally um because uh, a Kush Supply Co. packaging company on this, and they are providing the packaging for us at cost and on credit, and they want to get behind this to make sure we can be successful nationally. And I have to talk to them myself. Uh, we talked about that. Uh, so, what do you see um, happening? Obviously, the the Democrats uh, one in one in Georgia took uh, took over the Senate. You know, that's a that was a big groundbreaking uh happening for cannabis hopefully reform what do you think is going to happen is it going to be 280e and safe banking act uh more act uh decrim uh you've uh, you've got as good as idea on anybody what's your what's your gut and what's your what's what are you thinking on that yeah we're really pushing for the more act um you know we, what's lacking with the more act right now the democrats took the senate they got the house the white house they could introduce it. And that was the biggest roadblock. Before this, Mitch McConnell was there and he wasn't going to introduce it. So it was just all symbolic. Now that the Democrats control Congress, they can get it introduced. But what it's missing is Republicans. We don't have enough Republicans to pass the bill. And so our job is, given that I have a relationship with, you know, a number of Republicans, you know, because of you know the, the the efforts to get me out of a number of conservatives we are now trying to get them on board with a version of the more act that can actually pass the senate and so you know 
our first, the first person we're going to Mike Lee in this coalition that, that can help get conservatives on board. And I think there's no one better than Mike Lee to make a conservative and constitutional argument for ending the ban on cannabis. Yeah, because he's, he's a part of it. And, and we may get the banking bill first. Yeah, we may get the banking bill first if the Morat can't pass, but I, I'm hopeful that we can get it all done in one bill. So you think cannabis could be the thing that actually brings together the uh, such a divided legislature? I, mean, I certainly hope so. I do. Yeah, we're, we're still we're working on it, so uh, I'm hoping that that happens. There's a good argument. I mean, the Moore Act is, is a state's rights bill. And, and I think, you know, a, a lot of the Republicans, that's sort of going to be the pitch. You know, let the states, uh, you know, have their own uh, uh, marijuana laws. Let the states decide. Like that. Hey, Weldon, um, I was thinking about it. Like, what I, I'm I'm obviously, you know, that I'm 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 looking to get uh, get, get pardoned. Uh, I'm hopeful with uh, with the Biden administration and my relationship with 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 our REG here in Michigan, but you got pardoned and you get your rights back. I, I grew up with uh, with guns and I don't go near them. You know, I was in my, my first bunkie was uh, had 15 years for uh, three guns and a felony, you know, felony with three guns. To, um, so uh, what have you done since, have you done anything new? Have you uh, doing anything since you're, since you're off and, you know, clear, clean, uh, clear and free? initially pardoned, I felt like I was exonerated. And so I was going around bragging, like, you know, it's like it never happened. And then I get a letter from the DOJ and they tell me their legal opinion. You're still a convicted felon. You just don't have disabilities and you don't have collateral consequences. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And so I looked up the Supreme Court, you know, definition. Now, initially in the 1800s, the Supreme Court said a pardon is a full exoneration. It's an expunge record. So, but the Supreme Court walked away from that definition. And now it's like, there's a hybrid version. Basically, it's not an exoneration, but you're not, not convicted of it anymore. Uh, but it's the DOJ's opinion is even further away from that. And so, so I guess, according to the DOJ, I still have to write on the application that I'm a felon, but I've been pardoned. Um, and, and the good thing for me is I've always been a gun fanatic. I love guns. You know, I used to own a lot of guns, you know, ever since I was, you know, a little kid, you know, always went shooting. And so I'm happy to have my gun rights back. I haven't exercised that right yet because I'm still paranoid. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like yep. afraid to go even apply for one because I'm scared they're going to rush in and arrest me. So I'm just giving it time, letting the pardon, you know, show up on the, uh, you know, the um, whatever the BCI and all that stuff before, you know, I definitely want to go shoot and I'm looking forward to being able to protect my family, not, you know, having Mason in and in a baseball bat. So yep. It's definitely uh, amazing. I think that's the biggest, the biggest part. We should all be able to have a firearm at home. I don't think they should. I don't. I think a lifetime ban is unconstitutional. I just don't think um, you know the Supreme Court and the conservative Supreme Court is why we're here in the first place. Um, and I think you know, I think that one there might be you know an argument there for a lifetime ban. But I think people like you and me, I think a lifetime ban is unconstitutional. Yeah, I agree. I always wonder where the uh, the NRA has been in here in Michigan supporting all. It was in Michigan. The, we got rulings, you know, in other states that uh, 
if you're a marijuana patient, a cannabis patient, you can't own a, a firearm. I mean, that's that's a it's a plant, and uh, we, we should be able to grow it and smoke it. And uh, you have can our you rights. can drink beer. Yeah, and, and yeah, take you can opiates. drink beer and own a firearm. Yeah, take opiates, yeah, prescription, everything that. else. And let's be honest, I grew up, yep. you know, pretty pretty deep in the country. There's a lot of gun shooting and whiskey drinking going on you know by by people that might uh think the other way on the cannabis so that's uh it's pretty we gotta get that changed so i know you're probably scared uh, i know when i when i got out i was very paranoid about going around anyone that owned a firearm in their home because <laughs> yeah. when i got out my uh brother-in-law i stayed with my sister for a few weeks he's a man and guns I was scared to death to even be in the house. And even if you be around, if you find a bullet and you pick it up and throw it away, you're going to federal prison if they find out. And so it's very, it's terrible living under that fear because you have a felony that you can easily catch another felony and go to prison for a long time. It's ever happened. So, yeah, when when I got out, I was like checking the back of. Uh my car or truck like did anyone plan a, a shell in there or anything like that i was just so paranoid because another one of my buddies in, in prison was uh i think <laughs> three years three years for uh three empty bullet cases in a safe uh you know like that where like he collected for some reason you know he they were after his brother um but they got him and there you go so there was just all these wild stories but yeah super 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 paranoid uh i ask people when i get in cars you don't have a gun you don't have a gun in your glove box do you that type of stuff because you know it's it's the real deal um you know uh yeah yep so man uh well we could talk about this uh forever um I, but i know we got some hard outs and um, you know, I really appreciate being on the show. I wanted to go ahead and I usually let everybody say goodbye and uh, uh, let Tom and uh, Kevin, uh, you know, ask any final questions and uh, we'll ever, everybody get going and uh, we're gonna be real excited to see what happens in the future though with what you're doing. So Kevin, uh, any final thoughts? Yeah, well, then I just wanted to say, um, you know, that we really appreciate everything that you're doing for this movement. Um, because of you, this this movement has has generated um, a lot of attention, and and the domino effect is happening across the country. We've seen it uh, here in Michigan with the Michael Thompson case, um, and we're seeing it more and more every day. Um, I appreciate you being on the show. Um, I wish you luck moving forward, and uh, be safe out there. Okay, buddy. Tom. Hey, yeah, well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, really nice to meet you, man. Uh, thank you for everything and your sacrifice and, you know, just wishing you great success in the future and hoping we can uh, maybe all collaborate someday and <clears throat> raise some money through some uh, uh, Michigan has event licenses. So it'd be a good idea to possibly uh, uh, work on raising some funds that way too and awareness. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, we amazing. do have appreciate it. Um, I definitely, uh, you know, have my eyes on Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do have event licenses, like Tom said. Like, uh, what are you yeah. saying? Oh, we have event licenses, like Tom said. That's a great fit. Uh, you know, we have cannabis concerts that are allowed here once COVID's lifted. So, it might be a good way to to come on into Michigan. But uh, any any final thoughts, Weldon? As far as what can people do? How do they find you? Um, what, what, uh, any, any, uh, call to action on, on stuff that you're doing with your activism? 
Yeah, definitely. If anyone wants to support us, they can go to thewellinproject.org and sign up as a volunteer or follow us on Instagram at Project Mission Green. Um, we're currently right now working with the Joe, with the Biden administration on uh, general clemencies for all people with a uh, cannabis felony, whether you're free or in prison. Um, the other day we submitted a letter that was signed by industry individuals, uh, advocacy organizations, King Joe, sorry, I got uh, cut off there. So asking uh, Joe Biden to issue a, issue a proclamation um, pardoning anyone uh, either incarcerated or, you know, with a felony conviction for a cannabis conviction. And, you know, we're hopeful that this administration is going to move in the right direction on this. So we're working cl closely with them um, and hoping they'll do the right thing. It's awesome. Uh, yeah. Anyone that's listening out here, uh, we have a lot, a lot of industry people in Michigan. Uh, go foul, uh, Mission Green, Weldon Angelos, read about what's happening. Uh, he's doing it on the national level, and and we're uh, we're able to learn a lot and uh, follow his lead, and uh, hopefully can uh, can help support uh, everything he's doing. And uh, you know we'll see what's happened in the next next couple of years, and uh, look back on this. I'm excited uh, to to see the progress. So with that, thanks for everybody, and we'll see you next week. The Smoke and Rope Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Ryan Basor, the owner of Redemption Cannabis. Have ideas for episode topics or would like to be a guest on the show? Contact us at ryanb at redemptioncana.com. Thanks for being along for the journey.